Welcome to Fire After 50. I'm your host, Nancy Davis. I'm so excited about this stage of my life, and I want you to be excited too. Each week, I'll chat with amazing women who have broken glass ceilings, gained decades and decades of wisdom and experience, overcome a lot to be wherever they are, and have a passion they're ready to show up for. You'll be inspired, entertained, and ready to bring the fire yourself. I'm so glad you're here to listen. Here we go. And Poirier, welcome to Fire After 50. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I love your book, Body Joyful. I especially love the title. And before we get started, I want to share an Instagram reel you published. And for listeners who don't know what an Instagram reel is, it's those short videos you see on Instagram. And you said, I have a secret. The secret to having a beach body is to have a body and go to the beach. And I love this so much because for most of us, I believe we can't just go to the beach without thinking about how our bodies look. Like it never even occurs to us not to think about how our bodies look before we go to the beach. It's so true. And that's why so many people don't go to the beach. They won't even go or they cover up and then they are so worried when they're there about what everybody's thinking or what is everybody looking at or are they all looking at me? You know, Absolutely. and then- They don't get to enjoy the time that they're even at the beach. Yes. And reading your book, I really thought about how much time I lost, especially when I was younger, not fully being wherever I was because I was so worried about how I looked. That's what breaks my heart. That's why I wrote the book, really, was to allow myself some healing because I did the same thing. And I look back on my poor kids and not being present at their birthday parties because I was worried about, am I going to eat the cake or am I not going to eat the cake or what are people looking at? And is everybody going to have a good time? And, you know, it's like all those things that we just automatically worry about. And it takes us completely out of the moment. Completely. And we lose so many moments. And I did, I grew up hating my body and feeling fat, even though I never even actually was And in your book, you tell stories of deep anguish about other people's opinions about how your body affected you. And I'm wondering if you can share some of those stories about how you came to see your body when you were younger. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think we all have these little conversations or uh, experiences during our youth. For some people, not everybody, but for some people, they take in what's being said around them as something's wrong with them. And I use the example of, because it's happened to so many of my clients and myself included, is when you come down the stairs and you might be eight or nine years old and you have a shirt on that has horizontal stripes, right? And and those horizontal stripes, uh, so, dang it. <laughs> I know. It's kind of like the white pants in winter or something, yeah. right? But, mm-hmm. but my mom's saying, you know, when you wear those horizontal stripes, it makes you look wider and bigger than you really are. I don't think she necessarily used the term fat, but I interpreted the term fat. So I interpreted the term fat from a nickname from my brother, from not being able to fit into the normal size clothes, from doctors telling my mom, you know, she's on the heavy side, you got to watch what she eats. I think about them as seeds being planted that just my brain held onto so tightly that my brain was trying to prove to myself that it was right. I am fat and I will prove it to myself and I'll prove it to you by seeing and taking in all of these experiences as something is wrong with you and you better change what you look like if you want to fit into this world. And 
that's really where I started my whole journey, like, like for 40 years, just never loving my body, but not liking my body at all. And in that space of loathing is a strong word, but that's where a lot of my time was spent. Well, and you so well in the book capture that loss of innocence when you were really quite young Mm. and didn't even think to really look at your body any particular way right? You were so young. And can you talk about that, that dawning realization of how other people saw you or how you perhaps were supposed to see yourself? Yes. And I think it started in the five, six year range, right? When I just looked different than the other kids. You know, I didn't like the same things. You know, my mom cut my hair, my hair was shorter. I kind of looked like a boy. So I went through that that stage too. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I, I still wonder why that happened. (laughs) I know. know. (laughs) It's so funny. And it's, we just kind of pull it in or, you know, something about the way I just, the things I like to do, catch pollywogs and climb trees and dig holes. And, you know, those things are kid things. Right. And you love them. Like that was joy for you. For sure. Yeah. And a lot of the girls that were in my classes just were different right from the get-go and being a chubby little baby and having that little nickname, husky, sturdy, all those things that you just hear, even when you're, they don't think, your parents don't even think you're listening. You know, you're running around the house at three or four and they're talking to their friends. Oh, I know she's really stocky and she was such a chubby little baby and (laughs) just on and on and on. My dad still to this day, we'll say, oh, he was such a chubby little baby. Like, <laughs> and you're like, dad, have you not I learned know. anything? <laughs> Hello, have you met me? <laughs> <laughs> have you read my book? Yes, yes. he has. <laughs> <Hello>. <laughs> Tell the story with the gym shorts, because I think uh, that's another one so many of us can relate to. Yeah, the not fitting into the gym shorts. Having to go number one into seventh grade not even realizing that we had to change in front of all the other girls. So you're 11 years old and you have to take your clothes off in front of other kids, which I just hadn't done before. Even though I had sleepovers, I would always go to the bathroom. You know, it was just not something I'd done. So I found a corner in the room. I had the shorts on. I couldn't even get them over my thighs. I was mortified. I remember just going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I was panicked. You know, it's that fear. I went to get another size. The next size up really didn't fit me. I was pulling and tugging. And that's where I think some of those habits that we pick up start, you know, the pulling on the shirts. I was right. pulling my shirt. I was pulling the arms. I was pulling my th- my, my legs. And all I could see was my legs coming out of the short. I'm not the only one. And it's those hideous polyester, scratchy, oh. miserable, hot, uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 So Jim, which was, was called Jim, you know, and mm-hmm. aging myself a little bit, but. Well, it is, it is a show about being after 50. So, so <laughs> <feel free>. <laughs> I know, right. right. You, That's you are aged right. <laughs> if you're here on this show. <laughs> no True. secrets. Yes. No secrets. Right. So, but I just remember how much I loved Jim. It was my favorite in elementary school. It was the place that I felt comfortable. And I felt like I could be myself. I was good at certain things. I worked with a lot of people who weren't good at things. And that's where nicknames started. That was me. I was in that category. Yeah. So that does the exact same thing. It's just a different twist on the same story. 
Yes. Right? Yes. And it was always, oh, God, it's almost my turn. It's almost my turn. It's almost my turn. (laughs) Yeah. And that, I think that there's a whole slew of self-talk that happens with that. Absolutely. And mine just switched from sixth to seventh grade when I flipped into this middle school. So I was going to junior high and having to put on a uniform and having to put on this, these red shorts and pinstripe horizontal shirts, white and red, white and red, no, (laughs) (laughs) on top of it all. What cruel beast created those shirts? (laughs) Yeah. And then just seeing all the kids in class and just knowing that this was I had to do something like this. Uh, this is unacceptable. Right. Like, there's something really wrong with me. And right. it's so interesting how deep some of those pathways, we really start to believe so deeply these things about us. Right. And so it's no wonder that we, we live years with the same story. Right. And, and many people go to their graves, not ever questioning these things about themselves, not ever questioning whether they should stop worrying about how their bodies look. Like we just don't, it's so ingrained. So then you, you know, felt husky. You didn't fit into the gym shorts. And then that kind of set you on another path. Mm, Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I started to diet. It all came out in a writing workshop that I was in. The teacher in the writing class gave us a prompt and the prompt was, dinner at my house was dot, dot, dot. Wow. And out of me flew this story about the very first day I started my diet, coming home from school, sitting down and my parents had salmon and peas and you put them on saltine crackers. And I remember very methodically putting three crackers on my plate and putting the stuff on the top and very slowly eating the food and asking to be excused. I went upstairs and I started doing sit-ups. And that was the start of my spiral into anorexia nervosa. And I was right around 11 and a half on that magical day that just really spiraled me into a really difficult place for my family, as well as obviously for myself. But it was before Karen Carpenter had passed away. My mother had no idea what was going on. I probably went six to eight months without anybody really realizing much going on. I was just shrinking. I was wearing. So everyone just assumed you were successfully dieting at that point, right? Correct. Oh, you look so good. Oh, those pants are so cute. You know, I could fit into certain clothes. Things were changing. And then people just would start to say that you're too skinny and you should just eat. And then it flipped. And I was very confused because I'm like, can't people see me? That's not who I am. If people know what anorexia nervosa is, it's like a starving of the body. Your brain doesn't have a a conscious thought. It doesn't understand. If someone is suffering from anorexia, they look in the mirror and they do see somebody that is fat. It's distorted. They're not seeing the right thing, even though everyone around them can see something completely different. Right. Well, and that to me is an extreme example of what happens every day. We all have friends who think that they're heavier and -hmm. often we think we're heavier than what everyone else around us sees. Yes. And so it sounds like that dynamic just carried to an extreme and dangerous place. Space. Yeah. You know, the research that I've done through my studies with eating disorders is that there is a hereditary factor 
with eating disorders, which is interesting, right? And I think if you think about how we learn how to eat or how we learn about our bodies, it comes from who we're around most, caretakers, and their parents and their parents, right? Right. And so we look at some of the different things that they did or words that they said, or weighing themselves all the time, or talking about food a certain way, or looking in the mirror and talking to themselves, or pulling on their clothes, or any of those things. We see all that, and that's what kind of starts this this ball rolling. Right. You know, I credit my mom for really um, saving my life, and the fact that she was relentless to try to find me help, you know, and she just would ask friends and go to the library, and she finally found a book and said, this is what's going on. And that's when they, they got me help. And um, I started to see a psychologist and story kind of goes on, ended up in the hospital for a little bit, but it's, it was all just a mess of a time for my family as well. You know, of course. they couldn't do anything. My brother didn't care. Well, why would he, you know, he was like 14, 15. So he was doing his thing. <laughs> But then my parents, you know, my dad would want to do something and my mom would say no. And my mom would want to do something. My dad would say, no, that's not the best thing for her. Right. Right. So there was turmoil there. And that, you know, even to this day, that was, that was probably the roughest period of time within their marriage. And so when I came out of that, I think about, and this is something else that, that good girl kind of thing, right. Mm -hmm. After that, not wanting to disappoint, not wanting to rock the boat. So all of a sudden, you know, I just tried to do everything that I was supposed to do and not get in trouble and be the good girl. So then you recovered more or less, but Mm -hmm. you still struggled Mm -hmm. with your body image for many, many years after that. Yeah. I thought that, you know, if I went into fitness, I'd have to control myself, right. I'd have to control my body. I'd have to look a certain way. And so that's what I went to school for. I went to college for physical education and health. And I was going to be fitness instructor. And that's what I did for 30 years. And so for 30 years, I was in front of classes and then working with people doing the exact same thing as I did to myself, you know? Um, And I think fitness instructors and people that are, you know, a little bit more obsessed with fitness, it becomes a distort. It it can, it can be um, not a healthy thing. Sure. So, right. So what's the happy medium and Mm -hmm. what does that look like? Right. Because fitness is so important for our health and it can bring us so much joy. And I know the fitter I am, the more, more joyful I feel because my body feels so capable and I can do what I want to. I don't get out of bed in the morning feeling all creaky and whatever, but for sure when it's, you know, I think for you in in the book and for many people, it started to become kind of a means to an end that was not about health and was not about joy, but was still about controlling how your body looked, right? Right. Counting and calculating, um, you know, calories in, calories. It was all of that. Right. And a lot of the same thing we talked about at the beginning, a lot of time missed, a right. lot of time missed and periods of time I don't even really remember. Part of my college experience I got uh, from having conversations with with some of my college roommates that I didn't even realize the behaviors that I had. They thought of it as determined. Oh, she's so determined. Oh, right. she's so strong. Oh, she's so, you know. So it was a resiliency versus a obsession. So it's really, it can be very damaging to 
your own psyche without even knowing it, thinking you are doing the right thing, right? thinking you're on the right path. Well, so, and getting accolades for that mm-hmm. very behavior. Yeah. And I yeah. think that is, that's a, a big part of it. So thanks for bringing that up. And it was the first thing out of our mouth when we run into somebody that we haven't seen. Oh, you look so great. Or, or it's nothing. Or, well, you know, I've put on a few pounds, but, yeah. you know, almost as though you have to lead the conversation to just let's put it on the table. Yeah. That justify. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Justify and control how you're being seen. So how did you end up changing? I mean, for, for you to post some of what you post about just have a body and go to the beach. <laughs> and, you know, there there's an entire empire of fitness videos. It's still called Beachbody. And mm-hmm. to their credit, I think they really are changing. They're becoming much more about, you know, move to be happy, move to be healthy. And they're they're changing that. But their title is still Beachbody. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just so our society is getting better. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe around looking at people differently, but I do feel there's still a lot of stigma around people that have larger bodies that live in larger bodies and, Absolutely. you know, there's, there's biases that if you're in a larger body, then you, you can't be healthy. How could you be healthy if you're, if you look like that and really on a journey to try to dismiss some of the way our culture sees our bodies. And a lot of my own work was how do, how can I see myself differently and change the perspective that I have for myself and my body so that I can get myself out of this I use the word prison, this prison that I kept myself in with my own thoughts, my own prison doors wide open all the the whole, my whole life, the door has been open, right? But I've only seen one side, right? And that my own, my own journey took me out of that is just a, how can I see food differently? How can I see my body differently? How can I start questioning some of these beliefs that I thought for sure were the, were facts. This is me. This is my identity. And to question that and say, really? And I will always struggle. Mm. I think this is a big one, right? This is Mm. a big one. I will always struggle. That's who I am. That's what I do. I will always struggle with Mm -hmm. how I look or with my weight or how my clothes fit me, how other people see me. Just the idea that we don't necessarily have to struggle (laughs) for the rest of our life and that we can actually love our bodies. And that's a big part of what's happened to me with, you know, fire after 50 and just feeling on fire after 50 is that I'm 58 years old and I probably for the first time in my life, I actually love my body. Mm. And it doesn't mean that I can't be healthier. It doesn't mean, you know, any of that, but I just am so grateful. I'm so appreciative of everything that my body has done for me and continues to do for me. I mean, I wouldn't be here without my body. <laughs> like it's one of those sort of, it's so simple that it blows your mind, but yeah. how can we, how can we not love our bodies? Right. And, and that's it's- so easy to say, but it's, you know, all of these thousands of thoughts every single day that make that challenging. So how did you, I mean, you really abused your body, arguably, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you, you binged and you starved and you over-exercised and you did all of those things. So how did you come to be someone who wrote a book, which again, (laughs) I love this title, The Body Joyful, 
How did you get to a place where for you, the body is joyful? It really was when my body started to break down on me and I realized how much I had taken advantage of it when I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do and that I was really actually trying to do something to my body, again, destructive uh, in order to continue to punishment, to punish it and realized when they, they weren't able to, it was a knee surgery and when they weren't able to do it, to be kind of in this place is who am I? I thought that this surgery would fix me and I could go back to being this fitness person that was my identity. Right. And now who am I? So that was terrifying for you when you realized they couldn't fix your knee. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's such a, a minor thing, but it, for me, that was a turning point. It really was a turning point for me to start to step back and see my whole life from a different perspective and say, wait a minute, there has to be a better way. I don't want to live my whole life always worrying about my body. Right. I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired of it. And I just remember feeling so wiped out and what am I going to do? Kind of broken. And that's, I started to just journal about some different things and realizing how much I had written over and over and over again. I'll start tomorrow. Oh, I was so good today. Oh, just over and over and over again, day after day, after day, after day, you know, and when I, New Year's resolutions. Yeah. All of it. All of it. Every New Year's resolution was, was about weight. Always, Mm -hmm. always. And uh, I do uh, release solutions now at the beginning of the year. So what are the things I'm going to release? What things do I want to release? Love that. And a lot of times it's, I want to release some of those thoughts that still keep bugging me, or if I'm holding on to any regret, you know, I haven't forgiven myself for something, you know, those are the things that I kind of try to ponder and release during the beginning of the year, as opposed to something new. So, but it it really was this journey of self-discovery, self-help, therapy, medication and going all back to school, things. all of the things mm-hmm. and asking for help. And I think that just that one thing, asking for help. And what do you think has been the most helpful? You asked for help and what was it that you received that changed you so dramatically? I think the writing journaling for me was a very big part of my healing. So that's one piece the therapy, finding a therapist and actually working with a therapist that I wasn't lying to so that they would like me, like I was being honest with her. Mm -hmm. So that was a really big part. And then. And when you say lying, do you mean lying about how you feel, lying about what you were eating? What were you lying about? Everything. Everything. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had this. I I mean, I developed. It's all good. It's all good. That's my thing. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm Why fine. Are you here? <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to talk. <laughs> yes. My mother-in-law is a lovely person and everybody teases her because she's always like, it's fine. Everything's falling apart, you know, falling out of yep. the sky. I'm fine. And so my husband bought her a t-shirt that said, I'm fine. And there's a bloody bullet hole. Underneath. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just, that's how so many of us walk around. I'm fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it's also, there's fear base. We don't want people to think a certain way of us if you were yeah. to tell them the truth. So that's where the lying came in with your therapist yeah. was trying oh. to control what she was thinking about you. Right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that started with my very first therapist when I was 11 and 12 years old, lying to my parents, lying to 
the therapist about food and eating and all the things. Right. So, so she was a very big help. And then when I decided to go back to school and I read health at every size by Lindo Bacon, and I read intuitive eating, Mm -hmm. those two books really changed my thought process because there was so much research about dieting and about restriction that no one ever tells you. I realized that it's no wonder people regain the weight because of all the physiological things that happen when we, when we diet. So a lot of the research, I thrived on that because it gave me such a a new way to see food, Mm -hmm. exercise, my body, and to start really checking in with my own biases, my own belief systems, uh, my own thoughts, where are they coming from? I did a whole timeline for myself from the day I was born until you know, now and the events and how I was feeling and what are the things that planted some of those seeds and Mm -hmm. really rooted these beliefs about myself and, and trying to look at it from a completely different perspective. And a couple of the words that have really helped is no wonder, no wonder I did that. No wonder I made that choice. No wonder I was thinking that way right? So it allowed this validation of self. Sure. The other one is how can I curiously look at this, Mm. not judgmentally look, I would look at everything judgmentally, right? Everything, not only myself, but, but everything. I've learned a lot about the term I've heard is neutral observer, right? Mm. So instead of I'm doing that thing again, it's, oh, huh, I'm doing that thing again. Good to know. Mm. Yeah. And that changes everything. (laughs) Yes. It changes everything. Yeah, it sure does. It's, it becomes a question. And interesting is another word I use a lot. Yes. Oh, that's hmm. interesting. Yes. Interesting. Also, I'm a big meditator. Mm. I think it's really, really, really hard for people to get started. And there are a lot of misconceptions about it. And especially people tend to think about getting started already from a self-judging way. Well, I can't sit still. I can't do this. I'm terrible at meditating. And it seems like from your book, meditating helped you quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I talk about a lot of different people that helps me on my journey. You know, Mm -hmm. just people on, whether it's on the internet that you start to follow. Uh, And I was starting to listen to Kyle Cease and I'll never forget when he talked about meditating, the term he uses is just sit back and watch the show. And I love that. Right. And so the observer, if you think about being that neutral observer of your thoughts, not holding on to any of them and not judging any of them, they're just this show of thoughts and coming back to your breathing and watching the show. And that really helped me just start to be quiet with myself and be okay and actually find I loved it. Yes. I think when you really have been meditating for a while and it doesn't feel so just hard, then mm. for me, I always feel like I'm coming home. Mm. And yeah. it still doesn't mean it's always easy to just sit mm. my ass down and be still with my right. body. My mind doesn't have to be still. I learned from John Kabat-Zinn and he says, if you try to just not think, you'll give yourself a headache. The whole point so is true. not to not think and not have any thoughts. The point is to observe your thoughts. It's really quite astonishing what's in there. <laughs> You know, if you just let yourself look, it's really quite astonishing. Mm-hmm. And then learning with patience, you know, that non-judgmental eye, yeah. you know, and just to notice with curiosity and, and not hold on to things. It's so easy to hold on. My meditation practice, it doesn't always go well. 
And when I say it doesn't go well, I mean, I don't find this quiet place all the time. Sometimes I do. I find this wonderful place and it's, it's blissful. And then other times, you know, my brain's got like 300 to do's and it's just continuing to go. And so I'll just keep breathing and try not to get caught up in that whole piece of mind mess. (laughs) Mind mess. That's another one I like. That's pretty great. (laughs) So body joyful. How did you come up with that title and what does it mean? Well, joy is such a great word, isn't it? I love joy. I love joy. (laughs) It's light. It's fun. It just joy itself makes you smile. It's true. I think with my body being kind of on the receiving end of not very much joy, right? that joy in the body naturally came together. I'm going to ask you a question if that's okay. What gives you that fire in your belly? What kind of things really hit you like that? Like, oh, I got to do that. Or, oh, that sounds so great. So many things. First of all, talking to other women. Mm -hmm. That's why this is so much fun for me. And it's new. I'm nervous. I want to get it right. I have to edit. I have to figure out this and that. But as with everything, the more I relax into it and forget there's a mic here and that I'm going to have to edit and what's the time frame for getting it out. And I can just chat with you because you're freaking amazing, right? That's (laughs) That's why I asked you to come on the show. And so to just relax into this, I love, I love my friends. I have the most incredible epic friendships with just incredible women in long-time relationships. My kids light me up like crazy. They are just, they are, I, I get weepy talking about them every time. My son is 20 and he's like, just don't get her started about her kids because she'll cry. <laughs> and also don't fuck with her kids because she'll kill you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I just think they're all stellar examples of doing what you want to do because you want to do it. And then everyone's happy and Mm. all three of them do that. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And then I love horses. I love dogs and my husband and books and reading and dancing and watching friends with my middle child who can watch the same thing over and over and over again. And just all of those things. So many things. Uh, Yeah. uh, I love that. And it is a different perspective than how long ago. Would you say some of those things that you're feeling really lit up about, how long ago were they different? I think I've always had a capacity for joy. It's just that there was so much noise over and around it. Mm. So for example, with some of what we're talking about, you go out to eat with your friends. You have these incredible conversations. You're having such a blast, but are they going to leave that over? Because maybe I'll eat that. No, you don't need that. You're not going to feel good tomorrow. No. And meanwhile, you're out of the conversation, right? You're out of that blissful community and just the joy that you came here for, that you're paying the restaurant for, that you made the time for, that your friends made the time for, you know, just going to the beach, right? I mean, the beach Mm. is miraculous. I mean, the ocean is a metaphor for so many things. And it's so many people's dream is to live near the the ocean. I get to look at the Rocky Mountains every day. So that's pretty awesome. But, you know, you're missing it, right? Right. I was missing it so much of the time I was missing it because my bathing suit didn't fit just right or how I looked, how I walked. Mm. So it's not that I didn't experience joy. It's just that it was often kind of then tamped down. Or I would remember to look at my body a certain way. I would remember, oh, don't forget that you don't look good. Don't forget to wrap yourself up before you stand up and walk to the bathroom. Right, you know? 
right? Or yeah. pull on your clothes to make sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just some of those underlying thoughts that right. take us out of the moment. Once we become aware of the thoughts that are pulling us backwards, you know, and I think about them as being heavy, mm-hmm. the destructive kind of thoughts that are more judgmental, more critical, shame-based, guilt-based, worry-based, those kind of things that pull us out of the moment. Once we can notice and, and shine a light on them, then we are actually able to question it and be curious. But until we actually notice it, we just live our lives in this place of in the moment, out of the moment, in the moment, out of the moment, in the moment, out of the moment. It becomes our truth, our right. identity. That's mm-hmm. who we are. Like, And that's when it, we can get in trouble because right. we don't believe there's anything else. That's it. Right. A lot of times it's when something goes haywire right an external event really mm-hmm. pushes the buttons some way where you start to question some things for me that turning point in the hospital was part of that because i continued to fall back into the old patterns the disordered eating patterns the exercise pattern the decisions that i was making all along in my 20s and 30s and 40s mm-hmm. were pretty much the same choices so that brings me to being over 50 Right. And you seem like someone who's happier than ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love being this age. It really is a great age. I would never want to go back. Well, and is it because of my story? I don't know. But I would never want to go back to any place. I think the only thing I'd go back to do is play kickball, but I can play kickball (laughs) in 58. So (laughs) just play with a bunch of other 58 year olds and then you're good. Yes. We're good to go. But it's, you know, I have my hula hoop. Like, I just love being childlike. And I think that part of my flipping to this over 50 is being childlike and not worrying about what other people think. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't care. It's all in my head. So whatever I'm thinking anybody else is thinking, maybe that's where I kind of am like, well, that's just my head. So if I choose not to think that, I don't know what they're thinking unless I ask them. And right. I, I I guess I'm just having too much fun. This is too, <laughs> this is too joyful for me, or this is too, like, I want to feel this emotion, even some of the hard things. I want to be here in this emotion and allow this emotion and, and be sad or have my heart hurt when my daughter, you know, gets on a plane and leaves. Like, oh, that's, that's okay. It is. It's, yeah. yeah, it is. So as when they get older and they're, and they're leaving or they're not with you all the time or they call and they're upset or I want to feel all the feels. Right. Right. And not to judge myself on any of that. I think as we get older, we live life more on purpose. Exactly. Right. That's a lot of what fire after 50 is to me, Mm. is choosing, Mm -hmm. choosing what we want to do next. What do I actually want to do? Mm. Yes. There's so much freedom in that. Yeah. Is to ask yourself what you want. And if you ask yourself what you want and you don't know, that's okay. Exactly. I will ask people, what do you want? What do you like? And there's like almost tears Mm -hmm. because they they don't know. And I'm like, that's okay. You can experiment with things. You can find out what you like. Our values are so much different as we get older. And so you can find out what you like. You can find out what lights you up. You can find out you know, what kind of, what kind of life you want to live. Right. And even shifting the lens from, I have no idea what I want, what's wrong with me to Mm. sky's the limit. Right. 
right. the sky's the limit. I have no idea what I want. I'm going to find out. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Tell me where our listeners can find you. They can find me on Instagram. They can find me in the Body Joyful Revolution. That is my my community. It's a non-diet community, weight inclusive. It is a place to feel more comfortable and confident in your body as it is today's body, wherever it lies. We take different perspective around all things, food and movement. Joy. Joy. Yeah. (laughs) We throw some joy in there. The beach. The beach, gratitude. You know, we talk about all the things that do light us up you know, that do give us that fire in our belly. And even if you're younger, our generation can become role models for the next generation. And then your book is on Amazon? Yep. On Amazon, The Body Joyful. Um, You can go to thebodyjoyful.com and you can get it there too. You can actually get the first chapter for free. So if you want to just listen to the first chapter, I read it and you get a PDF of it. If you want to see, if you want to hear, if you want to read. Right. It's a really riveting story and it's one that so many of us can relate to so deeply. I certainly did. So thank you so much for having me, Nancy. Thank you so uh, much. It's really been a pleasure. It's great to be over 50. It's so great to be over 50. It's so great. (laughs) (laughs) Once that perspective changes like that, it's, it's amazing. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Fire After 50. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to share it with your friends and family. I'd also be deeply grateful if you'd leave me a review wherever you listen to it. Finally, I'd love to hear from you. So please DM me on Instagram at fireafter50, that's fireafter50, or through my Facebook page under the same name. Thank you so much again for being here.